O God, who enlightens the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, help us by that same Spirit to be truly wise and live as your people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Names matter. It matters what we call things. There is a wonderful English folk tale that illustrates it beautifully. Perhaps you're already familiar with it. A young girl once went to the fair to hire herself out as a servant. At last, a funny-looking old gentleman engaged her and took her home to his house as a live-in maid. When she got there, he told her he had something to teach her, for that in his house he had his own name for things. He said to her, what will you call me? She said, master or mister or whatever you please, sir. He said, you must call me master of all masters. And what will you call this, pointing to his bed? She said, bed or couch or whatever you please, sir. He said, no, that is my barnacle. And what do you call these, pointing to his pantaloons? Breeches or trousers or whatever you please, sir. You must call them squibs and crackers. And what do you call this, pointing to his cat? Cat or kit or whatever you please, sir. You must call her white-faced simony. And then showing her the fire, in the fireplace, he said, what do you call this? She said, fire or flame, or whatever you please, sir. No, Pondalorum is its name. And what do you call this? Pointing to his house and cottage. She said, house, cottage, or whatever you please, sir. He said, you must call it High Topper Mountain. Well, that very night, the servant girl woke her master up in a fright, and seeing the cat with a spark of fire on its tail, she said, Master of all master, get out of your barnacle and put on your squibs and crackers, for white-faced simony has got a spark of hot cocalorum on its tail, and unless you get some pondalorum high topper mountain, we'll be all on hot cocalorum. And by the time it was all said, his house burned to the ground. It matters what we call things. It matters that we are understood. And as important as it is as to know what we call things, it's more important to know what we call people. Mark's gospel opens with the proclamation that this is the good news of Jesus. And for this evangelism, this good news needs no birth narrative. John, the forerunner, is known as the baptizer, or growing up, he was John the Baptist. He fearlessly spoke the truth, even at the cost of his own life, proclaiming the importance of repentance. Repentance is not easy. Repentance isn't simply saying, I'm sorry you feel that way. It's not a quick apology, I'm sorry, to smooth things over. Repentance requires that we own the wrong we have done, to have a complete change of mind and heart about it, recognizing the enormity of what we have done is in offense against God and that it has an impact on others, that we are deeply remorseful for the act 
and the attitude that allowed ourselves to commit the act and then vow to use our energies not to repeat it. I'm sorry is easy, but repentance is not. Our baptismal covenant asks, will you persevere in resisting evil and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? We respond, not I do, but I will with God's help. Because repentance takes more than our own ability. True repentance, for that to happen, often requires God's help. This was the message that John, who is known throughout history as John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, is known, called people into. By his subtitle, the Baptist, or the Baptizer, we're able to separate him from John the Beloved and John Mark, the companion of Paul and Barnabas. The way he was called mattered. He appears on the scene in clothing reminiscent of earlier Hebrew prophets and humbly shares that he is not even worthy to unlatch the sandals of, his, of Christ. He's not even worthy to serve the one who is coming after him, whose way he has prepared. He's not worthy to baptize him in water, knowing that his baptism of repentance precedes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then one day Jesus comes to these waters of Jordan, not because Jesus needed to repent or anything, for he was without sin, but in coming, he was walking the way that John had prepared, that the prophets had spoken, and that we would too walk someday. I wonder if it was more a I wonder if it was less about repentance and more about the death of Jesus' old life as he once knew it. In the waters of baptism, we die to what is old, and at that time, Jesus died to his private life. And then he was raised anew to bring us the good news. In Mark's account, only Jesus saw the heavens split open, the descent of the dove, and the voice from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The ministry of Jesus, the holy God in human flesh, is going to be a very difficult one. As the creator becomes the created and becomes subject to numerous earthly limitations, earthly kindnesses and cruelties, and deep misunderstandings. But before it starts, God the Father speaks directly to his child. Remember who you are. You are my son. You are not what people will say about you. You are not what you might say about yourself in your best moments or in your worst moments. You are not what you do or the acts you perform. You are my son. And before you do anything, I am proud of you. What greater words could be spoken what greater words of inspiration or affirmation could be possible? When the God of the universe calls you his own, what more do you need? I often imagine that in the most difficult moments of Jesus' ministry, those words came back to his ear. You are my son. You are beloved. I am pleased with you. How vast the amount of love is shown in those few words. 
how vast the amount of caring and companioning along the way is found there. If these words were important for Jesus to hear before he began his ministry, how very important those words are for us to know. For we are God's children, every last one of us. And as we choose to live a life that includes repentance, God is well pleased with us. There are days when I need to know that no matter what I'm going through. Last night, I was introducing myself to some visitors we had, and one of our beloved members, who will remain nameless, teasingly said to me, and who are you? I responded, I am the daughter of the Most High God. Who are you? Well, the first time someone said that to me was when I was going through a terrible divorce, and I felt this big. I felt like I had failed God, that I had failed people, that I had broken my vows that were so holy and precious to me that I was going to condemn my daughter to a life of shuttling between homes. I was going to be a single parent. I was going to fall into terrible poverty. I would always need welfare. I would never make anything of myself. Nobody cared about me. Nobody loved me. How could I do this? I love Jesus. And when you start down that litany, oh man, you can just bring on all kinds of things. Well, it's clear I'm not a failure. I never did end up on uh, social support. My daughter turned out quite well. And maybe you faced great failure too, an unexpected turn of events. And you tell yourself a litany that forgets what's the most important thing. You are beloved. You, right now, wherever you sit, you are God's child. To be clear, we aren't on the same level as Jesus as a begotten son of God. But through Jesus, we are joined into God's family as his children, following his example in the sacrament of baptism. And that calls us into a very special life as we will share our baptismal vows together. It calls us into a very special relationship with being God's representatives here on earth, outlined in scripture and, usual, and usefully framed by our baptismal covenant. If you remember nothing else of what I have said this morning, please remember, you are God's child. You are beloved. And God is pleased with you. Amen.